0: how's it going how's it hanging what's up welcome into the second day film podcast it is the official podcast of the second day film club it is wednesday july 19th 2023 i'm your host brandon champion joined as always by the philosophizer of film mike nichols uh mike how is it going today it is
1: really hot in austin texas right now it's been uh like 103 to 105 every single day this week and uh yeah this poor michigan man has been uh sweating like crazy
0: <laughs> it's a clean crisp 77 degrees over here oh. in right now like oh, uh
1: you suck <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i mean it's not just texas though like my buddy my buddy was out in arizona last weekend and he's like oh. it's like 116 degrees outside like you literally was in the pool and it felt like a hot tub. So I mean, the, the heat yeah. is out there. I mean, we're in the hardest summer right now. And Mike, not only does the hardest summer mean heat in our world, the hardest summer means a hell of movies. a lot of movies. Yeah, like, some great holy, movies too. I know. Holy cow, man! Like I feel like you know, obviously summer block blockbusters come out every year, but it feels like this year. And maybe it was the pandemic, or you know, just kind of like the the remnants of the pandemic. But it feels like this year, it has just been like rapid fire big time movies coming out and and honestly we're only just getting started right now.
1: Yeah, I mean we still have uh Barbenheimer to get through uh later this month with both Barbie and Oppenheimer opening the same day. That's been really fun to watch like just all the the buzz and marketing around that. I think that's hilarious and great. I really want to see both. I have already got tickets for Barbie. I don't
0: know if I'm going to see them both the same day. Are you going to do it? Are you going to do the double feature? No, nah, no, nah, I want to I want to give each of them sort of like their the respect they're due to just kind of clear my head and, and, yeah. and have time to process both of them, you know, because they're yeah. obviously very different movies, uh, but they're both movies that I think are going to have a lot to say and a lot to think about. So I'm yeah, going to have to go on sure. different different days because I don't want to, you know, I want to give them both the respect they deserve. But so you're going Barbie first.
1: Yeah, I'm going with my uh, some friends. Uh, yeah, they we were everyone was really excited to see Barbie. I'm like, yeah, I want to see it. So. Um, but I'm excited to see Oppenheimer too. Uh, i've heard I've heard both are amazing. So far, early reviews are looking promising.
0: Yeah, I think both of them have like upper 90s on Rotten Tomatoes, so yeah. I'm pretty fired up about that. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's gonna be a good day
1: for movies.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just, the and that's what I love more than anything, you know, is just seeing the excitement for people to actually go to the theater, you know, like people are buying so many tickets in advance, like, I saw they're like setting records for advance tickets, and I'm just fired up to see people like excited to go to the theater again. I mean, I we obviously go often, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sometimes it's kind of a lost art, but I swear, man, every time I go to the theaters, at least here in Grand Rapids, like there's a lot of people there. So I, I, I'm never going to let someone tell me that nobody goes to the movies because people do, if you ask me. So uh, we I'm do. excited about it. Yeah, we do. But I mean, I'm excited about it, man. It's been a good time for movies. Uh, and I'm glad we've had this little run here because of the you know the strike going on with, with the writers and the actors. And we've been yeah. sort of exchanging texts about it and you know, mostly just frustration. I think that we're both expressing about the whole situation, but uh, hopefully they can get that resolved because I really do think we've been in sort of like a golden era here, Uh, especially for TV uh, in particular. Mm -hmm. And we've obviously had some good movies lately too. And, you know, hopefully they get that figured out because anybody who loves movies, you know, uh, we want the creators to be able to create, but we want them to be able to create in an environment that is conducive for that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Writers are awesome. We are writers. Uh, Yeah writers should be paid fairly so yeah hope they can resolve it and uh yeah hope they can pay the writers fairly so so i'll say so i'll say
0: (laughs) yeah we don't need to go down that rabbit hole i guess but yeah we're not we're not
1: inside of it we really yeah we don't really know what we're talking about but writers should be paid fairly i'm just gonna say so uh yeah what do you want to talk about movies
0: I mean, we got four pretty big ones here coming up tonight. I mean, like I said, it is summer blockbuster season, and they've been coming out hot and heavy the last few you know, months here. Mike and I have been covering some other stuff. We kind of did a backlog last episode, watched a lot yeah. of shows. But on tonight's episode of the Second Day Film Podcast, we're going to hit four true blockbusters, I'd say, four, um, you know, Films that are part of a series, part of a franchise, um, they've got a lot of buzz. They've gotten decent reviews for the most part, and they're they're four of the biggest movies that are were anticipated throughout the year, huge money makers. Let's start off off the top here, Mike. Uh, back into superhero land. It's a sequel to a film mm. that I believe we both put in our mm. top ten films of the of the uh, decade. Right? Oh, uh, absolutely. I believe we yeah. both put Spider Man into the Spider Verse in our top ten films. This is the sequel here to the 2018 film that I just mentioned. It's Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. It it was directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, Kent Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. Uh, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller contributed to the script. And it stars Shameik Moore, who voices Miles Morales as our new Spider-Man, alongside Haley Steinfeld, Brian Tyree Henry, Luna Lauren Velez, Jake Johnson, Jason Schwartzman, Isa Rae, Karen Sony, Shea Wiggum, Greta Lee, Daniel Kaluuya, Mahershala Ali, and Oscar Isaac. It's a great uh, in the film, cast. oh, fantastic, Mike, yeah. fantastic. Uh, in the film, Miles Morales goes on an adventure with Gwen Stacy across the multiverse, where he meets a team of spider people known as the Spider Society. They're led by Miguel O'Hara, who's also known as Spider-Man 2099. But he comes into conflict with them over the handling of a new threat in the form of the Spot uh mike again like the first film that we both just raved about on this podcast a few years ago back in 2018 uh the thing that stands out first here in addition to story great voice cast uh and this the thrill of seeing spider-man on screen in a new medium uh again you get that sort of vibe of a comic book come to life you know it literally feels like you're flipping through the pages of a comic book back in the day and this one i noticed you've even got like the little author's notes that pop Mm -hmm. up on the screen you know like Mm -hmm. if something happens and they sort of like break the fourth wall and give you a little note of like what it is yeah Um, but but once again just the thrill of uh really this film just being like a tribute to animation in all its forms shines through once again
1: yeah i mean this is like it's a lot like the first one but just like dialed up like sometimes the animation is so so much it's almost overwhelming uh like there were definitely times when it was it was hard for my eyes to track but but man it was it was sure impressive every single panel and it was also so beautiful how they started blending different animation styles for different worlds and like you you know and especially with Gwen's world where it was like color palettes and just like pastel paints and it was so it was so good to be like, oh, like the art isn't just like meant to like be to wow you. It's meant to tell the story. And it was so well done. It was props to the artists and the directors and the storyboard artists who put all of it together. I mean, this is like, like I know they talk about movies like, oh, it's a masterpiece. It's a work of art. This is literally a work of art. Like you could probably pause any frame of this movie and like put it up on a wall and it would look incredible. Um so like right off the bat like i have to say like th- like this is peak animation right now of where we're at and what we can do with it. I mean and i'm excited to see now that you know now that this kind of new new wall has been shattered it's like okay this is what animation can really start doing now. Like let's start doing it. I hope Help other people start like learning from this because man, like you'd think like someone like Disney or Pixar would be cutting edge, but like this is this is cutting edge. Like this is what felt new and fresh and real.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean the well from the opening sequence, you know, a little bit of a curveball, we get introduced to Gwen right away you know in her world and sort of get her backstory she gives her little spiel about you know I'm Gwen Stacy and I got bit by a spider you know kind of like the we talked about it a lot in the last uh uh, when we reviewed the first one you know about how the Spider-Man mythos and sort of the legend of Spider-Man is played up in these movies and sort of like what it means to be Spider-Man regardless of the medium or regardless of what type of story you're telling like just what it means to be Spider-Man and that's carried through a little bit in this one but I, I will say they I'll get into something a little bit later where I think they kind of flipped down its head a little bit in the movie but um you know I knew that we were in for something special when literally like an Italian renaissance version of the vulture showed up oh, in the yeah, first 20 yeah. minutes and he's like this weird like sort of like I don't know how you would even describe that animation, like what, like sort of like origami, like hand-drawn. Vulture shows up, and it's just you knew that this movie was going to go for it once you saw that. And you know, we get into Miles' story again. We get him to expand into the Spider Verse. You know, I I just really appreciated how um, you know this film dived into what life would be like if you if you didn't have a Spider Man. You know, because we get into like how we learn about how Miles is Spider-Man, you know, how he became Spider-Man wasn't meant to be and how there's all these canon events across these multiple timelines. And, you know, Mike, we've dealt with multiverse a lot lately, whether it was through Loki, whether it was through uh, the Doctor Strange movie, whether it was through everything everywhere all at once. You know, the multiverse is like a hot topic right now. Mm -hmm. And the way that this film sort of explores the multiverse and how you have these canon events and how it's all connected and how um, one thing can affect the another. I really think it took like a sort of nuanced layered approach to looking at, you know, yeah. sort of like yeah. multiverse idea that is everywhere now.
1: Yeah. And it also did a great job of not only like giving you the little Easter eggs of fan, fan stuff that we all wanted to see, like throwing in like Spectacular Spider-Man or throwing in the PlayStation Spider-Man or throwing in, you know, even Donald Glover as uh uh you know as the prowler and stuff that was great but like those are little moments and then they just blow right past it and like they don't they don't build the whole thing up to just be fan service after fan service after fan service even though there is that but what they do is they just go so deep with it i mean there's like horse spider-man t-rex spider-man like you know, they just go so far into where could you really take this, that it's so creative and beyond what you would expect it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was very impressed with like how much detail, like someone, someone, like, I guess I saw an article where it was like, you know, 15 Easter eggs in the movie and it was all just from like one scene. I was like, how did they put all those things in one scene. And there was like other articles of all the other Easter eggs in the movie. And it's, it's so, it's just so well done on every level. And the writing, the character development, the like,
0: uh, yeah, it was, God, it's just so good. It's love just, it. it. It feels like a movie that would be very easy to become overly chaotic and overstimulating yeah. and too much to handle. You know, like I felt like, like I think back to the Space Jam movie with LeBron James. Like I felt overstimulated watching that because of all the Warner Brothers characters that were in the crowd, and there's just a lot going on. This yeah. movie's basically doing the same thing. You know, bringing in different spider. People from all the different, you know, different mediums and different movies and sort of the stuff they've made up and different comics, yeah. but but it still feels grounded because of what the the you know the core message of it is, where it's right you know, sticking and to Miles trying yeah. to figure out himself and go ahead. Yeah,
1: the, well, it's it's because it's well written. The writing and the plot and the story all function in the same sense that it's bringing you through this journey. And so when you see these things, like all these different Spider Spider Verse characters it's consistent with not only like the plot of a story, but also the tone of the character developing and branching out and growing. Like, so it all works. Like with, with space jam, it was just, Hey, we own these characters. You know what? Let's just say the WB is this big thing. We can throw them all in there. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, that doesn't like, like that's forcing the plot. This is consistent with the plot. Like, again, it goes back to, you have to have good writers at the end of the day. That's why they should be paid very well. It's not easy to do what they do.
0: So, what I like to, and you talk about character development, you know, the first one was really about Miles like learning to be Spider Man. It was about mm-hmm. him learning what it means to embody the Spider Man character. In this one, he's mm-hmm. almost like, because he's coming in contact with, uh, you know, Oscar Isaac's character and Gwen Stacy and all these enhanced Spider Verse characters, he really is trying to learn how to, because he sort of is like a rogue. Spider-Man I guess yeah. you could say he like wasn't destined to become Spider-Man so there's a lot of sort of thematic stuff in this movie where Miles is like yes he's embracing the Spider-Man mantle but he's also trying to sort of break away from the mold that we've seen over yeah. and over again the, the you know? canon events
1: yeah
0: right so he's, he's trying to be like his own thing with his own story And that's interesting, again, when you're dealing with a world where constantly over and over again we're being introduced to different iterations of Spider-Man where they're telling their story and they're relatively all the same. Where you know his is sort of different because he's like the rogue, you know, cannon breaking Spider-Man. So he kind of has to go about doing things his own way. And this movie sort of explores that individual individuality. Sorry, I can't say that word yeah. now. Individuality of Miles Morales and how his Spider-Man is almost a little bit different. And that's why you know his story is sort of being told against the backdrop of all backdrop of all this. Yeah. I was I did not expect this movie to end on a cliffhanger like i didn't know uh, a middle section. Yeah. Did, did you mm-hmm. see that coming or because i was like what the hell like we're just now like starting another act and there's like we're <laughs> like two hours and 10 minutes into this movie like what are we doing here like that did kind of catch me off guard
1: yeah it caught, it caught me a little off guard and in a good way too i i mean i knew that they were already working on the like they announced it they almost were going to call this i think across the spider verse part one so I kind of expected it to be like an Empire Strikes Back where it's going to leave you hanging a little bit at the end and be like, oh, what are they going to do now? Or how are they going to get? I didn't expect it to be like a literal like, oh, whoa, the the, the scene just ends with this moment, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, that is kind of, yeah. a,
0: kind of a shout out to uh, a nod to comic books, though.
1: Right. Yeah, do that's how they to end, like too. Comic
0: books, yeah, where it's like to be continued because yep. they want you to buy the next issue, you know? Yeah. So. I guess yeah. I, that's how I kind of took it but I was surprised. I was like, "Oh. Okay, I guess we're going to we're going to have another one I mean, I figured we'd have another one, but I guess I didn't expect it to be like a story that just got cut off like that. And then the other thing I didn't expect, I thought the spot was like played by Jason Schwartzman was just going to be kind of like a throwaway villain because mm-hmm. that's kind of what they set him up for in the beginning, you know. You're not you're hardly even villain of the week. And then, you know, he sort of becomes like the co-big bad because you could say that oscar isaac's character is kind of a bad big bad too but at the same time he's kind of so, on our side so it's like right. he's more of like an anti-hero whereas it was interesting that this out of all the spider-man rogues gallery they decided to go with you know the spot who's kind of just like a throwaway character but i guess when you're dealing with multiverses, it kind yeah. of worked i was just surprised to see him develop into actually a formidable villain yeah, I think
1: he was a great choice. I don't know if you ever used to watch that '90s Spider-Man cartoon that Christopher Daniel Barnes was the voice of it. I used to love that, and I do remember the Spot episode very well. And so I I liked the Spot villain, and because he he had those like those black like dimensional like portals that he opened up, and like like that was like very very like key to that episode. So I remembered him as a kid very well. Of like, oh yeah, he's a dimensional villain. So I thought he actually worked great as a villain for Miles and particularly for this, like, kind of, you know, issue. Um I thought it was, a little, it was kind of ironic, too. They made him bagel guy. <laughs> it cracked me up a little yeah. bit. But, yeah, I would definitely like to see him, like, definitely, like, maybe get more, more screen time or more villainous menace in the next one. Because in this one, he was a little uh, goofy. It got more and more scary as the yeah, movie he went did. on. He did, and I hope in the, in the third one we'll just see him fully, just fully go like terrifying. That'd be that'd be awesome to see. And yeah, another thing I did like about this one, and I know we've talked how much we loved it, but like I feel like Gwen really like she had a lot of main character, even though it was Miles' film. And it, like you're right, it wasn't just Miles learning how to be Spider Man, but learning how to be his Spider Man. Hmm. Um, I also thought they gave that that energy to Gwen too in the story. Like Gwen definitely had a lot of character arc and really powerful moments and a lot of like heroic choices that she had to struggle with and make too. So um, like the whole first like 10 minutes of the movie basically are Gwen, um, which I I love seeing that focus on her. So yeah, I thought not only was it a great movie for Miles, it was a great movie for Gwen too. Like Mm
0: -hmm. um, yeah. So I'm really
1: excited where this goes next.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's called Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. So, you know, it could be about any Spider Man. You know, she's basically like a co main character within this. So. Uh, just a couple other random things i'll shout out the soundtrack was amazing again Mm, you know just mm. the the way that the soundtrack is almost like a character in itself in these movies because it's it yeah at times when he's like web swinging around new york or whatever like they'll they'll blast the music and it'll be you know like it's present but a lot of time it's just sort of like in the background you know where it's just kind of like this soothing r&b or hip-hop or sort of funky jazz and it's just kind of in the background and it it really just helps create the whole mood of sort of like this laid back, you know, watching the, watching this comic book unfold, listening to music with your boys kind of vibe, you know? So uh, the soundtrack is amazing. And I appreciated that. Whereas in the first movie, the focus was really miles relationship with his dad, you know, that's still here obviously, but it's miles and his mom have a lot more of a interaction and exploring their relationship in this one. So it just feels like we're sort of getting a more well-rounded portrait of you know, what the relationship and the family is. But the real, I think, achievement of this this film, Mike, is to be able to blend all these different animation styles together and make it feel like a cohesive film and have it not be overly chaotic. Like, it's obviously a chaotic movie, but just the way that, all these different things and these different characters and the different animation mediums uh, blend together. It really is sort of like an artist tribute in the form of a movie, but it's also a very entertaining summer blockbuster superhero movie to watch. So I just think that, that that says a lot about the filmmakers to be able to take those two things, meld them together and make what is arguably an even better movie than the first one, which we both obviously loved. So. Yeah. I think these are,
1: man. This Spider-Verse trilogy. This this is like some of the best superhero movies I've ever seen. I, I absolutely give this one an A.
0: Yeah. Congrats I gave to everyone it. involved. I think I you know, I, I think I I might be like the first one a little bit more. I think I gave it an eight and a half, just because it felt like a little more original, you know, because I hadn't really seen it. Anything right, like yeah. that. Yeah. I still love this one. I gave it an eight eight out of ten. So uh Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, and obviously I'm we're both eagerly awaiting the third one. Uh so mm-hmm. Anyways, moving on across from that, across the Spider-Verse to across the sea and under the sea, because it's better down where it's wetter under the sea mike uh <laughs> i don't know what it just kind of came out i don't know uh-huh. yeah okay uh, all right yeah yeah that kind of sounded like a rap like a scuttle rap you know mm-hmm. uh, a scuttle butt, if you will yeah uh it's the 2023 film the little mermaid it is disney's latest animated uh, or sorry, live action remake of an animated film. Uh, the animated film obviously came out back in 1989. It's based on the fairy tale by Hans Christian Andersen, who we get a, a quote from right off the, the jump here, which I found somewhat impactful. The film stars uh, Haley Bailey in the titular role of Ariel, alongside Jonah Howard King, David Diggs, Aquafina, uh, Jacob Trombley, Noma Dumazweni, Art Malik, Javier Bardem, and Melissa McCarthy. Little mermaid follows a mermaid princess Ariel who is fascinated with the human world and makes a deal with the treacherous sea witch Ursula to trade her voice for human legs to impress Prince Eric, who she saved from a shipwreck before time runs out. Uh, Mike, this is the latest live action Disney remake, which I know we've both had mixed feelings of over the Mm. years. I Mm. I like some of them. Uh, some of them I found to be very disappointing. Uh, like I really liked Dumbo. I thought the jungle book was good. Um, aladdin i liked but other films like mulan and the lion king i found to be somewhat disappointing so uh you know i know you are coming to these live action remakes with some skepticism mike i do um,
1: and how, rightly so how,
0: how, yeah how does the little <laughs> mermaid uh rank on your scale of skepticism i guess
1: so the little mermaid is one that i took my girlfriend to see because little mermaid was her favorite Disney movie and Ariel was her favorite princess. In fact, Wesley has an Ariel uh princess doll that he has now torn to shreds, but it was his favorite toy. So Wesley this is this is a, just so everyone yes. knows. Yeah, Wesley is Wesley is my girlfriend's job. But uh yeah, so this is a beloved film uh for her. So I took her to go see it. I saw it in theater, and I have to say it wasn't bad. I thought it was actually pretty well done. Um, I had just seen Peter Pan and Wendy, uh, which I was like, I don't, it was OK, like, but it was really it did not justify itself being made. Um, and there's way better like Peter Pan movies out there. But then like
0: <laughs> they've so only I, made like 50 of them. so <laughs> Yeah.
1: But like for this one, I was like, OK, like, you know, am I just going to see a shot for shot of the cartoon? And in some ways, yes, it was. But in other ways, it wasn't. Like this one did actually, shall we say, dive in more to developing the relationship between Ariel and Prince Eric, which I thought it did a good job of. Uh it didn't dive into much else, uh, but it did, it did actually make their relationship stronger, I thought. Um, and it, it did look good. Like I have not thought all the live actions uh remakes that they've made looked very good. I did think this one looked good. Um, I thought the main character, Ariel, played very, very well by Haley Bailey. Uh, she did a fantastic job as Ariel. I thought she was great. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I thought the guy who played Prince Eric was also actually really, really, really great. Uh, I thought they had really good chemistry. Uh Yeah. And i thought I thought it actually worked. It was clear they had some put some thought and effort into this one. I liked the new songs, they were fun, and uh yeah overall i thought I thought they did a good job with this one
0: yeah, Haley Bailey crushes it, man I mean she yeah definitely, she's good. you know there's been a lot of conversation around her, obviously, I think a lot of it in bad faith, so I'm not even gonna really acknowledge it yeah, uh, it's but, stupid. She, but she absolutely embodies the character, everything about it, man. Her singing voice is incredible um she really embodies that sort of like eager somewhat naive uh sort of fascination with the human world you know you know but she she really takes everything that we love about the character from the animated film and puts it into live action i thought she did a fantastic job like i have no complaints about her and really the performances in general i thought were really good you know like melissa mccarthy as ursula i thought was fantastic um aquafina as scuttle sort of like enhancing that character and giving him sort of like a I guess her and that's giving her sort of a bigger role and impact in the plot. I thought did well. And I thought uh, the guy who did Sebastian was absolutely a standout in terms of singing, rapping uh, being sort of like the comic relief uh, of the movie. I thought it was all fantastic. And yeah, I agree with you, Mike. I actually went into this and I was like, you know, I even texted you. I was like, I don't know how excited I am to go see a two hour and 15 minute version of a movie that I already have seen. Yeah. Honestly, I hadn't seen this movie. Because I do think they enhanced it, you know? They really did, like... If Ariel and Eric's relationship is sort of like the driving force of the plot in the first one, but Eric is basically like a nothing character in the animated film. You know, he doesn't really have... He's not really flushed out as a character. He's just kind of like the cute guy that she covets, you know? Yeah. In this one, we kind of get more idea of his motivations. We get sort of more of his story that he, you know, washed up on this island. And, you know, he's kind of like a stranger in his own land looking for his place. And it's sort of the same thing as Ariel. So they do the two find sort of a kindred spirit in each other and sort of, you know, they both sort of feel like fish out of water in their own world. Sorry, that was bad. Yeah, <laughs> no, no.
1: But that's that's it. The point is that they're both people who don't feel at home in their own world, and so... But they both want... I think it was interesting at the end, Ariel and Eric actually leave to go do what they want to do. Like, they both actually have similar goals and dreams. They're really...
0: They're exp- both ambitious. They They're both explore. explorers.
1: Yeah. yeah. She she cares about the human world, and wants. she's always been exploring it, and he's exploring the sea. He cares about, you know, finding new adventures, and it's like, oh, wow. These characters actually do... They are really soulmates. That, like they enhanced that connection the two characters had and it worked with the plot but also the actors made it work with their chemistry too and they're like you know the way they get along and behave and they both they both were very gracious in how they because they're both like oh she's a princess he's a prince and they had a lot of grace to them and I, I, thought I, I thought i was able to all very well
0: yeah and one thing that i was like kind of annoyed about with some of these uh, you know live action Disney remakes like I didn't think Jafar in the Aladdin movie I overall like the Aladdin movie but I didn't think he was like menacing enough or terrifying enough or crazy enough like the Jafar in the animated is I felt like Melissa McCarthy really nailed Ursula and this sort of like her whole vibe of you know feeling like an outcast and disrespected and sort of crazy and a manipulative person where she's kind of like laying around like bemoaning her life and I thought she was on point with this. You know, the songs all hit like perfectly, you know, like the songs. They're obviously the same as they're in the animated one, but they're almost enhanced in this because the movie, despite dealing with, you know, a mermaid and magical powers and a sea witch and all this stuff is sort of like grounded in a way. You know, they sort of like try and like approach this and sort of like a you know, a realistic way how how humans in the sea world would have to interact with each other and they would have to go each other. And when they're doing the kiss the girl sequence, you know, it's they really focus on how it really is Flounder and Sebastian and Scuttle sort of making the music of the natural, you know, world. They, they tell you why they end up in a random swamp. So like sort of like what I think this movie does really well is it takes the plot of the original animated Little Mermaid and it sort of explains the plot gaps in a very like realistic and sensible way you know like it enhances mm-hmm. the story it draws out the story to sort of fill in the gaps of why this person's here or why this person's there or why this happens or why that happens and it does it in a sensible way so it didn't feel like in this one like they were just trying to you know take the movie they made in 89 and just make a carbon copy remake of it it felt like they were actually trying to enhance it which is a lot of what I liked about Dumbo it's a lot of what I liked about Aladdin it's a lot of what I liked about Jungle Book where you take your source material that you created that everyone loves and you do something with it you don't give us a shot for shot remake like they did with Lion King you know like give us give us something new build on your story you know build on the world you know and I think that they did that in this I guess if I had some criticisms the special effects sometimes were a little weird to me because they're, like I said, sort of taking a realistic approach to this. So they're, it's actually like a flounder fish. It's actually like a crab, you know, it's actually a bird, a scuttle. So it's like, I don't know, like flounder was a little weird for me just because like, it's like just a fish and it's like, you know, they obviously downplay flounder. They hype up scuttle out of probably out of necessity in the plot. Scuttle can live on land and, carry Sebastian everywhere and so it was a little goofy at times when it when it came to you know the actual animation and when the bird was just underwater talking speaking perfect English I was like yeah I know it's an animated stupid film but like or not animated a live action kids movie but I'm like why is the bird talking underwater like doesn't it need a breath like and they just say "Yeah, yeah gotta go need a breath you know so that was kind of funny but just minor critiques because overall, I I actually liked this movie a lot more than I thought I would.
1: Yeah, same. Uh, and yeah, I I thought Melissa McCarthy was solid as Ursula. She did feel a little off to me compared to everything else. Like everything else, it tried to feel like it was giving more like like physical breath to this animation, and she still moved, or maybe the way she was shot, it just still felt very like choreographed as a cartoon and less like grounded the way everyone else was trying to be um, i thought she got know, taken
0: out a little too easily too just by her like running a ship into her and then all of a sudden she's just dead and gone well, you know that's how that's how she dies in the cartoon though i know but it felt like it was because wasn't there like a full-on like big ship out there and eric's out there with his crew and in this one he's just kind of like on a ledge and like, I don't know. And then Ariel kind of runs the ship and I get it, but it just seemed like it was a little too, uh, yeah, I guess I expected Triton to get more involved there. And then my other criticism that I was going to bring up is the relationship between Ariel and Triton, which is supposed to be like a huge part of the movie, you know, there that's sort Mm -hmm. of what sets this whole chain of events into action is, you know, her feeling betrayed by her father because he destroys her grotto and whatnot i it felt a little underdeveloped to me honestly yeah same you know they could have focused on that relationship a little more i think
1: yeah and they tried to also do this thing where ursula is actually his sister like so she's ariel's aunt which i was like oh they're adding that and then the mother was killed by humans like they added these like very interesting new details of like oh we're filling in this so who's ursula she's actually his sister or, I actually like the mother
0: killed by mother, humans. She was killed by issue. humans.
1: Yeah, I like those. I thought those were interesting auditions, but then they didn't. They actually didn't do more with them. They were just, yep, she's the sister. Well, wait, why would she turn bad, or what happened there? Like, why does she have, you know, octopus tentacles instead of like a mermaid tail? Like, they didn't explore that though. Or, well, how did the mother die? Like, was it was it Eric's real parents who killed her, or mm-hmm. was it that like, you know, they didn't, they didn't explore that. Like, so. I don't know I do wish like, yeah they filled in some things with Eric and Ariel, but I wish maybe the other things they had explored a little bit more too, and particularly with uh her relationship to her dad with uh um uh king um uh King Triton uh also yeah, he just came back to life a little too easily, like he died, and then Ursula died, so he's alive again. I thought that was a little like I think the cartoon did that a little better where he was a like a sea urchiny little character, and then when the spell was broken he came back but with this it's just like Ursula died so he's resurrected i thought that was a bit a bit a bit more of a of a stretch to the plot um mm-hmm. but uh, overall this was a good one and you know mad props to haley bailey uh, i'm sure she put up with a lot of stuff to get that role and to have to endure being in that role and all the behind the scenes of filming did not i mean she's just her on wires and on green screens and yet she still acted the heck out of it. So mad props to her. Um I like I, I I like the job she did. I thought it was nice too they actually had Jody Benson, the original voice of Ariel, um, kind of do a little cameo in the market where she's like one of the vendors and she says a nice thing. It's like, oh that's nice. Like Jody Benson's like passing on the torch and stuff. Um would have been great had again Christopher Daniel Barnes been able to say something to Eric, but no. He was the voice of Spider Man too. Uh, yeah, Spo- voice of Spider Man and voice of Prince Eric. Guy's a legend. But yeah, this new Little Mermaid, uh, I, I I thought it was pretty good. I will give it a B minus. The only reason I'm not giving it an A minus because this movie probably shouldn't exist in the first place. <laughs> I don't think they should be making these live actions. But of all the live actions I've seen, of all the Disney remakes they've made, uh, this is this is like in the top two. This in the a- this in Jungle Book.
0: I'm at a 7.5 out of 10, liked it a lot more than I thought. Yeah. Music was great. Haley Bailey killed it. Um, and honestly, you know, maybe the little mermaid, this was one that was sort of like prone or or sort of set up to be better as a live action remake. Cause some of them translate better than others, but I think they did a good job with this one. It was entertaining. The voice, uh, talents were fantastic, especially, uh, I really like Sebastian. And uh Melissa McCarthy and Scuttle uh, by Aquafina. So uh overall I really enjoyed it, and it's one of the better live-action Disney remakes. All right, from under the sea to up in the stars, we're moving on to another superhero movie. It is Marvel's latest, it is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It is directed by the incomparable James Gunn. Uh, it is the third in the Guardians of the Galaxy series, following Guardians of the Galaxy, which released in 2014, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which released in 2017. Mike, this was the 32nd film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Holy crap. It stars Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Dave Bautista, Karen Gillen, Pam Kimmenteef, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, Will Poulter, Sean Gunn, Chukwiti Iwuji, Linda Cardellini, Nathan Fayon, and Sylvester Stallone. In the film, the Guardians embark on a mission to protect Rocket Raccoon from the high evolutionary. Uh, Mike, Marvel has been on, I would say, a little bit of a downturn lately. I wouldn't say that we loved films like, uh, you know, uh, like uh, Multiverse of Madness. You know, we gave mixed review to Black Panther Wakanda Forever. We gave mixed reviews to Ant-Man Quantumania. You know, I quite liked it, but uh, uh, Eternals got mixed reviews. So I would say that Marvel, after having a stretch of like incredible films, um, has sort of come back to Earth a little bit here in a little bit. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Maybe they're getting a little bit too uh, comfy and cozy in their sort of production of them. Maybe they're pumping them out too fast. Maybe the universe is just getting too big for itself. We've reviewed all these Marvel movies and we've talked about these topics a lot. Um, but here in Guardians of the Galaxy, we're going back to sort of our favorite ragtag bunch. You know, one of the core groups of the MCU, uh, at least through leading up to in the Infinity Saga. And, you know, these were characters I think that not a lot of people knew about before these movies came out. And they've sort of morphed into some of the favorite in the MCU. So
1: mm-hmm. here we go.
0: Volume three. It's a, a film that is pretty heavy. To be honest, and it's dealing with a lot of things that are a little bit darker in nature than what we've seen uh, in in previous uh, MCU iterations. But, uh, you know, for my money, this was one of the better Marvel movies we've had in a long time.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, It started off a little slow where we're on nowhere with the Guardians. Uh, Quill is kind of in a rough place. And uh, we see the Guardians trying to, like, you know, take care of Nowhere. And um, all of a sudden, they get attacked by Adam Warlock. Uh, and then they they kind of have to go on an adventure to figure out what's going on there. Because they need to uh, find a switch override to save Rocket. Um, and at the core, I, w- I would say, like, this is really Rocket's movie. Like, this is a movie that's really about him, which is, oh, man, like, like, the movie movie keeps jumping back and forth between Rocket's present day situation of, of, you know, being in a basically in a comatose state to his past. And we find out how did Rocket become Rocket? And man, if you don't like animals, you don't like seeing animals get hurt or having scientific experiments on them. Don't watch this movie because man, there is some heartbreaking, but really well done stuff here. We see his backstory, and it's all done in a way that builds up into the plot and the story. It's not just like there just to be there. It's 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 really good storytelling. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, there, it's got everything, it's got those zany guardian adventures, great music with guardians just being silly and and you know, weird in space. And it's then, kind of
0: updated music though we've kind of moved yeah. into like away from the 70s more into like in sort of like 80s vibe and then obviously we get the modern music at the end you know yeah so everyone's dancing but yeah dude this this movie had me shook for like two weeks after i watched it you know, like, <laughs> ju- ju- like justice for lila Teeth, and floor man, man, oh, man. They live forever in that great big beautiful sky you know because like just absolutely some brutal scenes in this, you know? And I, and like I said, like literally from the first shot of the movie, you know, you get that shot of the, you know, one of the the high evolutionaries minions sort of reaching into the cage and grabbing rocket and how he's the one raccoon who's standing there taking it on and everyone else is cowering behind him, sort of like shining a light on the leader he's meant to be. And the the, the hero that he will soon become later in his life, albeit not by his choosing at all, but right from the jump, we know that we're going to be dealing with, some heavy stuff here you know and sort of like a yeah. darker tone than we've dealt with in the past but and those scenes are hard to watch man i mean it's 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 tough to watch They're, you know animals being experimented on is is terrible ironically PETA gave this movie two thumbs up because of their uh portrayal <laughs> of of human or of animal testing which i i guess i can see but um Yeah, man, this was tough. I was thinking about this movie for a lot, uh, for a long time after watching it, just because it it felt like, yeah, it's Rocket's movie. You're right. But through Rocket's struggle, um, sort of all the Guardians sort of take Rocket's near-death experience or in his past to sort of really confront and Mm -hmm. uh, what's going on with all of them. And through Rocket's trauma, uh, it sort of initiates this internal conflict that all the Guardians have really had for different reasons really since Endgame. And through his sort of story and his struggle for survival, each one of the Guardians sort of has to confront uh, sort of like a deep, dark issue within their lives. And because of that, this movie has just like an amazing, heartfelt, intense core to it where these characters that we've been through, you know, three movies with and, honestly more. And if you count the Avengers movies,
1: right? Yeah,
0: we, we've seen them sort of develop and struggle through things. But in this one, it all sort of comes to a head where they sort of realize, yeah, they've made like this makeshift family and, and friend group and uh, this community where they can all rely on each other. But by the end of the movie, what they realize is they all need to be able to stand on their own two feet in their own ways. You know, like they can't mm-hmm. just lean on other people as a crutch for the rest of their lives because their trauma has, has changed them forever. They have to learn to work through it. Yeah. With the help of their friends and their community. But by the end of this, you know, we see them all going their sort of different directions and, and, and learning to move forward on their own. And they all do that through rocket struggle and realizing that, yeah, I can do this, you know, and, and because of that, it becomes a very empowering movie to watch, I think.
1: Yeah. It's like this movie puts them all through the therapy that they all need to really explore like something inside each of them that's broken and it all happens in a very natural and like, like it's a story that fits with the plot that it's going through. Um, like with Rocket experiencing, like, you know, what really makes him a leader and, and, and being vulnerable to connect to community, um, you know, with, with Quill, uh, trying to, you know find peace really um with with Drax like realizing that his whole thing is being a dad you know mm-hmm. uh that was awesome yeah <laughs> with with Mantis and learning that like yeah it's okay that her thing is is creating communication it's not kicking everything's butt sometimes like the greatest thing you can do is actually like save the things that are scary and mm-hmm. talk to them uh you know it's gamora even realizing like hey maybe maybe this isn't her journey like um it's it's yeah, a i'm glad they didn't movie. backtrack
0: on Gamar. i'm glad they didn't backtrack on gamora and put them together but they they did a nice closing to her and quill's relationship you know where it's like they're yeah. in a good place now they could even be friends probably in the future maybe there'll be something there down the line but i'm i'm glad they didn't yeah. backtrack they on didn't, that. And
1: then, yeah they didn't and, force
0: it and quill kind of learning you know He's he stopped running from his past, you know, he went back to Earth, you know, to because he's a human, you know, he was like so traumatized from, you know, what happened to him as a kid, rightfully so. But, you know, to see him go back to Earth and reconnect with his grandfather, who we already knew was a character, you know, from the first film, uh, you know, they all sort of come full circle here. And it's it's through this sort of incredibly empowering, emotional journey that we get to see it happen. You know, it's a long movie, maybe a little bit too long, maybe a little bit drawn out at times. Uh, another criticism I would have, while entertaining with the comedy, you know, sometimes when they when they go off on their sort of like, you know, uh, it's legitimately funny when they go off on like their group gags where they're all sort of like chiming in with their one liners and they're like yeah, working yeah. off each other, and it's funny, it's hilarious. But I do think sometimes it does take away from the moment a little bit, you know, because they're going for like this big comedy piece, and then it's in the middle of like this actually. Serious, intense scene, and it just kind of like changes the mood completely. But I guess that's fair because that's what we like about the Guardians movies, right? We like that comedy, we like the interaction between them. Um, yeah, you know, when the music's playing, and they're all in their different colored space suits and they're out, uh, you know, space walking, like. I don't know, this movie just sort of delivered everything that we love about the vibe of the movies. Because when the Guardians movies, if you remember back to the first Guardians, when it Mm -hmm. came out, it was very much like a different vibe. It was much more like a zany space vibe compared to the sort of serious Earth heroes. And what this movie did is it sort of like tapped us back into that vibe while still making it an incredibly powerful movie. And I just think that's a credit to James Gunn. It's a credit to the writers. um, And it's a credit to the actors and Kevin Feige. uh, Kevin Feige because uh, you know this could have easily gone sideways and gotten too crazy like you know the last Thor, uh, Thor Love and Thunder this one yeah. managed to hit us in the feels with the heartfelt stuff it really was emotional at times it had good comedy moments but it all still felt grounded in very much a Guardians movie and I think absolutely a worthy send off to 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 these characters I think yeah definitely I I really loved how like it all it
1: all came together so naturally too with all of their skills blending in to create this very cohesive family that works so well as a unit when they're all together doing what they're all doing best like i think that final fight scene where they're all finally together and then like it's just a one shot of them just taking on a whole hallway full of bad guys it was just fantastic and i love the way like the camera like focuses on each one. You see each of them has their own kind of fighting style, but it works for who their personality is too. And it's like, this is them. Like, like their flaws, their personalities are what also are their strengths and what eventually makes them work so well once they're all together as a team and a family. Um, so yeah, I thought it was good. I I will also say there was a little, another moment I loved where group says uh, like he says hum- he doesn't just say I am Groot I am Groot I am Groot mm-hmm. he says like of a verbal sense I love you guys and it makes me wonder like oh wait is Groot saying this or are we now Groot's family and we're like oh yes. if you're that that's the whole secret to Groot's language of if you're his family you can't understand him to anything else it's just I'm Groot i'm like that's so sweet i love that
0: i think it's 100 that latter bit now that we've been through you know three guardians of the movies that we've been through multiple avengers movies that now we're part of the team we're part of the the family that now we can understand what Groot is saying like the rest of the guardians i think that's 100 what it was and i agree that was a great touch i think the main villain here the we we talk about villains all the time in in uh In MCU movies, Mike, but Chukwiti uh, Awuji, I think as the high evolutionary, maybe the most terrifying villain, like even more than Thanos, like this guy just seems like pure evil, right? Like he claims to have noble intentions of creating like the perfect race, but uh, this guy is maybe the most terrifying, scary villain we've ever seen in the MCU. And I think that uh, he absolutely embodies that. in this. like, I'm scared of this guy the whole time. Like he is a legit psychopath
1: yeah he was a great villain um and he, al- although he was great i will say i was a little disappointed with the character of adam warlock not with the actor i think will Poulter is fine and i thought he did a good job with what he was given but i really thought that that character like like probably could have had more weight like he kind of well, got thrown to, in there as having like a little redemption with dan but it was he felt a little too jokey like he comes in as the big <sighs> cause of all the problem, and he's supposed to be like the threat. But then he just kind of becomes a like a goofy joke. And yeah, when did we get introduced think... to him?
0: Wasn't it a post-credit big... scene or something? Or it was a post-credit uh... scene, I think. When they're like, "My Adam Warlock," and then yeah, but we
1: don't meet him yet. We just see like I think the shell that he's being made in or something. But,
0: so here's the thing: they do sort of try and explain that in the plot that he's they took him out early, that he's kind of like half baked. So he's sort of like a child and he doesn't understand things. And they so they do try and kind of explain that within the narrative. But I agree. Like, I think if you're like a comic book fan that had been reading about Adam Warlock and you've been waiting for Adam Warlock's debut in the MCU and then this is what you get, sort of like a childish comedic relief sort of thing. yeah see how that could be a little bit of a downfall but i do think him getting put in the new guardians could set up for something somewhat interesting because i did figure that he was sort of going to turn to the good side you know there's no way and we should talk about it like all the trailers of this made it seem like someone was going to die whether it was drax whether it was quill whether it was rocket um and nobody does spoiler alert nobody dies here and oh man
1: i I thought I thought he was dead though. That that ending where you think Quill is like sucked into space and he dies and you think you just watched him die and then he gets saved. I was like, I legit thought they killed him. I legit no. thought he died for a second. I was like, I wow. You
0: can't do it, dude. There's no way after getting all these good feels to get through all this shit, the high evolutionary is dead and then you're going to kill Peter Quill. Like I knew Adam Warlock was going to save his ass because you could already tell that because yeah. Groot had already saved him. You know, so you knew they were going to have to pay that off.
1: Yeah, I thought Adam Warwick would come get the body. I didn't think he would save him, though. I thought he was dead. That's what I thought. I thought his redemption would be he brings the body back or something. But I I thought he was dead. Because, like, I mean, look at him. His face, you know, blew up and his eyes were red and he stopped moving. I was like, oh, he's dead. Like, that that to me signals dead, I guess. I guess guess it wasn't. But uh, (laughs) that was that was a genuine, like, whoa, you got me. I thought he was dead.
0: Well, I love this movie, Mike. I I thought it's one of my favorites, honestly, in the MCU in a long time. And uh, right now I have it as my number one movie of the year. I gave it an eight and a half out of ten. I think it was an absolutely worthy send off to these characters. You know, I I assume we'll get this new group of guardians at some point or who knows what the future of the MCU will hold. But uh, I thought that in terms of this actual series and, and the way that James Gunn took sort of really unknown characters outside of like comic book junkies and, and turn them into some of the most popular in the MCU. I really think that was a real achievement on his part. And I absolutely applaud him for what he did with these three movies, because um, if you're looking at actual, just like straight trilogies in, in the MCU uh, this is up there with maybe the best. If you're just talking about a straight trilogy, you know, captain America, I think was really good. You want to look at, you know, just the Avengers movies, obviously those will be up there, but uh mm-hmm. I really just absolutely have so much fun watching all the Guardians movies and uh this one really really hit me and stuck with me and it, it will remain maybe one of my top 5 or 6 in the whole MCU.
1: Yeah, I think like yeah, if we're talking like the best the best like series in the MCU, I think the Avengers movies are probably the best uh then you get the Captain America movies um Boy, it's tough though. The, iron, the first Iron Man is just so good, but then Iron Man two and three weren't really that great. Uh, but Guardians one was really good. Guardians two was okay. Guardians three is great though. So I don't know. It's it's up there. I did. I mean, the Spider Man. Their Spider Man trilogy is not bad too. No way home, Far from Home, and uh, too too far from home to come back or whatever. <laughs> no, no, no. I like I liked uh, I love No Way Home. So I don't know. But yeah, this one's great. I give this one an A minus. Uh, I really thought it was um,
0: it was it was a nice
1: return to form mm-hmm. for Marvel if, for MCU and, films.
0: And if this is the last time that we see, you know, like the core group of Guardians, then yeah, uh, I think it was absolutely a worthy send off. You know, it, Lila Tief's and Floor Man though they they deserve better, Mike. They deserve uh, better. They really I did.
1: realized that that's who she was. So Linda uh, Car Cardellini. Mm-hmm. uh she was she's um she's hawkeye's wife she's she's uh in the other movies but she was the uh she was the voice uh for um lila, lila. Yeah. yeah so she's got she's got two roles in the m c u she's uh she's laura barton and she's lila right. well <laughs> that's okay. kind
0: of cool i mean might as well right good for you yeah she's she's a great actress yeah better than a i yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> Where would this oh, rank man. on your MCU scale? Uh top of the middle. So like top 10 easily. Uh oh, top 10 in the whole MCU. Uh, I don't know if it's top
1: 10, but it's like it's it's in the the upper of the middle.
0: <laughs> okay like yeah there's been 30 to 32 films so we'll say like uh what this is probably like this
1: is like 11 or or 12
0: okay all right cool but a good movie and i think after a, a few sort of like you know i guess underwhelming mcu films it was good to see one where you actually felt like you were in the theater having a hell of a good time well Sometimes I was having a very bad time, but uh, you know what? Though you you right? care, it made you care, yeah. it moved you. I know you were. I had, had to just keep telling myself. Laugh. I know. I had to just it keep telling good, myself. They're CGI. CGI. It's CGI. It's CGI. It's CGI. Like because it was killing <laughs> me, It was absolutely <laughs> oh, killing me. It was oh, brutal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. If
1: you get get prepared to like, yeah, the animals. Is, that's that's heartbreaking. It but is. yeah, good movie. All right, let's move on.
0: Rest in power, Lyle Latifs and Floor. I love you guys. <laughs> uh, all right, moving on to the last blockbuster we're going to talk about here on the July 19th, 2023 episode of the Second Day Film Podcast. It's one that I've been waiting for for a very long time, Mike. It is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. It is the fifth film in the Indiana Jones series. Uh, it is the sequel to the film Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which we got back in 2008. Uh, it stars Harrison Ford as everyone's favorite archaeologist, Indiana Jones, John Rhys-Davies, and Karen Allen also reprise their role as Sala and Marion Ravenwood. You also get Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Antonio Banderas, Toby Jones, Boyd Holbrook, Ethan Isidore, and Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, set in 1969, the film follows Dr. Jones and his estranged goddaughter, Helena, who are trying to locate... Locate a powerful artifact before Jürgen Voller, a Nazi-turned NASA scientist, who plans to use it to alter the outcome of World War II. Uh, this film was directed by James Mangold, so this makes it the first Indiana Jones movie that uh, does not have a direction from uh, either George Lucas or Steven Spielberg. Which I guess we can talk about uh, the sort of impact on the film that it had there. But Mike, Indiana Jones, like I was so hyped for this movie. Honestly, like I was thinking about it, Indiana Jones, like especially Temple of Doom and The Last Crusade are arguably the movies that sort of made me fall in love with film. Uh, My grandpa, I remember, had VHS copies of these in there. I remember me and my sisters like these were some of the first movies where I actually like sat first like non animated, you know, kids movie where I remember popping it in and like being able to watch it as a kid and having like. So much fun watching it, and just loving it. And then going out in the backyard and imitating Indiana Jones. And I remember the first yeah. time—the first time anyone ever asked me what my first, uh, what I wanted to be when I grew up. I took—I said archaeologist because I just loved everything about Indiana Jones and this character and the history and the adventures. And so, like, this film and the character has a very special place in my heart for me because it—it it honestly is the character in the movies that made me fall in love with the movies. And I just so I was so excited, you know, Kingdom of the Crystal Assault kind of let me down a little bit. I didn't love the alien aspect of it. We had waited, what, like 20 years for it. And it just wasn't like what I wanted. It wasn't what I expected. So when I saw they were making a fifth one, I was excited to 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 see it sort of tap back into what we loved about the original trilogy. And this movie has some flaws. It might be a little bit long. It gets a little corny it takes some weird twists and turns that I was not expecting. But one thing I don't think that you can accuse this movie of is straying from the Indiana Jones formula. It very much feels like you were thrust back into the world of everyone's favorite archaeologist, literally from the opening scene.
1: Yeah. Um, first off, same to everything you said about growing up with Indiana Jones. Like it helped me fall in love with movies too. I also did want to be like an archeologist so- at one point when I was a kid and yeah, like I, I went back and actually rewatched uh, the last crusade on father's day. Cause so I was like, yeah, I'm missing my dad. Like that's a, that's a great father son movie to watch. And man, I was, I was like, I, man, these movies are so good. And. Perfect and adventure movies. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then actually like a couple of hours before I went and saw dial of destiny, I rewatched crystal skull just because i was like i only ever watched it that one time and i didn't like it but maybe i should watch it again with a more open-minded like lens and also just check and see because you know, who knows maybe maybe mutt will be in it or something or maybe like maybe maybe there'll be something from the movie i forgot that'll be like useful for understanding what's happening but uh yeah, I I had a, a different appreciation for Crystal Skull, but I'm still like, yeah, this isn't it, great. It wasn't like, it's,
0: bad, but it was just like not what I was expecting. Yeah, wanted, you know.
1: Yeah, it's flawed. Like it's there's actually some things I actually liked more about it this time, but ultimately, it's it's just it's the heart of the mo- like the story is just a little. We have flawed. been waiting
0: since 1989 mm. for another Indiana Jones movie, you know. So yeah. like the expectations were like through the roof, and I think it. I just don't think it quite delivered on the vibe that we were looking for, uh, no, you know? But I yeah. do think that vibe is back in this movie, you know. Like, yeah, that, I do. Get, too. I think that crazy the- opening train heist in the beginning, where you've got like just these ridiculous fight sequences and sort of like crazy things, like one thing leading to another, where a gun's shooting itself and they're flying through the, you know, France on this high-powered train, and you got the de-aged Harrison Ford, and he's cracking with Toby Jones and he's it was just like everything it brought me back instantly you know to to have yeah. these this opening sequence with a young Indiana Jones and it just it brought me back man right away so I was like it really before we even get to the main plot here we're sort of just grounded in an Indiana Jones movie you know and it, and yeah. it was awesome I felt like I was being brought back so I honestly really love this movie and I have a lot of good things to say about it but I don't know did how 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 are you feeling about it because it's a long movie it got sort of i would say mixed reviews you know i think a lot of people appreciated for what it was but you know maybe they were looking for something a little more the plot is a little bit crazy and there's some criticism i have with it particularly in the third act but i don't know what d what is your overall impression of this movie um i
1: i'm not going to lie I I do think that it was, it was good to see, like, they really did stick to like, shall we say the Indiana Jones formula. Um, It did feel like they took a bunch of different like aspects of the former movies and said, we need this, we need this, we need this, work it into a plot. And that happened. And I'm like, yep. I, like, I see it. Like I see like the tributes to the different Indiana Jones stuff. Like good job, good job, good job. But at the end of the day, ultimately i was a little bored by it like i didn't really feel like i cared what he was looking for or why he was looking for it or like i didn't really enjoy the relationship he had with helena it was more like like you know are they are is there a fun relationship here like is there mentorship is there not like what is this um
0: you know, I, think was. I, they, I, I disagree with yeah. that point if i'm being honest
1: i don't know i thought she was great i, mean, I really like phoebe waller bridge i loved fleabag and i loved her in yeah, it but too. but I, I just great. her character didn't really i don't know I, I didn't find her all that like like she was funny in moments but then
0: i was like wait oh is she is she just a jokey character well, there's there's a banter there's that banter yeah, aspect I don't know. between the two but that's part of indiana jones you know him just making like these little quips and yeah what are you doing here you know and i actually loved the chemistry between the two of them i thought it was fantastic you know i and, yeah, and i do, do think job, there is but... that you know he's clearly being set up by the end of it you know I thought their chemistry was incredible, you know, and I I thought they they really balance balance well off each other, you know, sort of like the different generations, the different viewpoints. uh, You know, she goes from just like this, I only care about the money, sort of like Tomb Raider type to actually we find out that she does have empathy and she's kind of lonely and her father's gone because she went crazy. And, you know, Dr. Jones sort of steps in as the father type. And I think if you compare their relationship to sort of what the core of the movie really is about, which... I think the film is really about, you know, Dr. Jones remembering that he's Indiana Jones, you know, it's sort of about him finding himself in, you know, he's kind of like basically compared to the aging relics that he's constantly chasing, you know, he's a, he's a relic of a bygone era. He's retiring from his school. He doesn't really know how he fits into this new changing world. He's basically a relic of the things, you know, he basically is the things that he's collected. And, you know, by the end of this, we you know, get the scene that we can talk about where, you know, he just wants to stay back in history because he doesn't really see the point of him in the modern world. And he has to realize that, no, there is a point for you still, Dr. Jones. Like you have a family, you have Marion, you have Sala and his kids. You have, now you have Helena that you need to be a father figure to, Like, and he sort of finds his place in all of it. And I think one of my main issues with kingdom of the crystal skull is it didn't play up Indy's age enough. You know, because we're watching the movie, Harrison Ford is obviously older, he's older within the plot of the story, the year is later, but I don't think they played up, you know, his sort of like, how he doesn't fit in with the world anymore, how he's not like this hero, foxy, hot guy that every student loves anymore, you know, I didn't think they played that up, you know, his place in the world enough, and in this one, I think they really did. They sort of, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously he's literally like a senior citizen now, Harrison Ford. So, you know, it's easier to do it. But like, I do think that they did a good job sort of examining Indy's place in this sort of, you know, modern world. You know, (laughs) obviously we're in 2023 now, but, you know, this is the moon landing that's going on here. Uh, That was what was big and obviously a huge technological advancement at the time. So sort of setting this sort of Indiana Jones feeling washed as we say in the sports world, uh, sort of rekindling his fire and learning his place in the world through his relationships with Helena and through this adventure. I don't know, man, that all kind of worked for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't have a problem with the story as much. It was, I I don't know, like some of the, I don't know if it was just because everything was so CGI, like it just, I don't know, it just, it didn't hit the same way. Like it felt, I, I don't know, too safe maybe to... Oh, yeah, like, this you kind of know what's going to happen. It was safe.
0: Um, it was... So what's the Indiana Jones formula that you talked about, right? It's basically uh, an, an object quest rooted in history, right? You're yeah. going after a MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. You yeah. have a, just a tinge of supernatural, right? Yeah. Which we mm-hmm. obviously get that. And then, what, what? you have a, a fascist villain, basically. <laughs> you know, like a, mm-hmm. a villain who is not righteous, you know? And that's yeah. all there. And, and you could say preferably a nazi yeah well you know, we don't get nazis except in the beginning we do get a taste of nazi here a sprinkle yeah. of nazi if yeah you will. a light, a light uh,
1: dusting of nazi if you will
0: yeah. but yeah so i agree with you. this movie is safe it didn't take chances but maybe the filmmakers maybe they felt like kingdom of the crystal skull did take a little bit too many chances you know diving too far into science fiction where this yeah. one is kind of like It's very much an adventure movie. You know, it's kind of like a throwback adventure movie. My criticisms do mostly lie with that third act. I cannot say that I expected to meet Archimedes in this movie. Uh, That did get a little bit kind of like like we knew that something supernatural was going to happen. That's part of every Mm -hmm. Indiana Jones movie. Right? Yeah. The fact that they actually went back in time to like two AD or whatever it is, like two hundred AD or whatever the time period is, and we met Archimedes. I almost felt like we were in a parody of an Indiana Jones movie for a little bit there. You know, it, it was a little corny. That to me
1: was like, that was at least interesting to me. Cause I was like, Whoa, like yeah. I did not like think this was going to happen or it was going to work or like all of a sudden like, Whoa, we're just with airplanes and they're in like a, in the middle of a Roman battle. Like yeah. I've never seen it. Yeah. 12
0: but
1: BC. like, I've never seen that before in a movie. You know, like I, I was like, "Oh, this is She's interesting."
0: Dragon! I know,
1: dragon. yeah, and they were all speaking in like uh I looked; they were actually all speaking like Italian and and stuff. I was, I was like, "Oh yeah," like they would not speaking, and like that part was actually fascinating to me, like just the fact did that they
0: think to just fully did you commit think they were to it. Let him stay.
1: Like, did I you think they know. were
0: going that way for a second? Because I, I really didn't, because I thought that's he was going to have a redemption arc. Well,
1: know. that's the, the, I will say. That was the first part of the movie where I didn't know what was going to happen. Like I, I was like, "Wow, I don't know what's going to happen. Like I, I I don't know where they're going to take this or how are, like how in the world are they going to get back? Like they're back in time. Well, like we never know.
0: Gonna... We don't know. You know? That, yeah. That, that is another criticism I have is like a lot of the what set exactly is the time this? fissure? Yeah. 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 A lot of the set pieces in this, like the the opening train sequence when he's riding the horse through the parade. Ah, uh, when they're riding the tuk tuk through uh, Tangier, like I think all these chase sequences were awesome. I loved them. I thought they looked amazing, and just the thrill of seeing Harrison Ford riding that horse through that parade. Like I just like this is Indiana Jones, man. This is Indiana Jones. I was just loving all that, but it did feel a little anticlimactic at the end because we don't even get to see how they get back. You know, we don't even get to like she just knocks his ass out, and then we're. You know he's back home like yeah. Dorothy from the Wizard. Well, of Oz, you the, know? the, kid, was the like, kid, the kid
1: fly, the kid flies him out through the fissure on
0: his well, plane sure that can, he, yeah, he, he just
1: took. That a child could just hotwire a plane and fly it, no big deal. Like, well, yeah, but
0: uh, and land it. <laughs> the pilot, the pilot could may have flown it back because he was. Oh uh, yeah, remember? Yeah, which I did. It was appreciate just some guy? Them. Yeah, but yeah, I did appreciate him having that. The you movie, know, like, like but, wait, this little kid's gonna fly the damn plane, like. Okay, let's have the pilot actually be in there. Okay, good. I I'm glad that they were thinking of that too. You know, like yeah, but yeah, that did feel a little anticlimactic because it's like, oh shit, like now we're just back at home, like Dorothy waking up in the Wizard of Oz, like I said. Yeah, right? and, but, and the bad
1: guy, the bad guy, what was his death? Oh, uh, he just got back and turn, baby. He, they just they crashed like that. That was a little anticlimactic too.
0: He got what a Nazi deserved, Mike. Yeah, he got what a Nazi deserved.
1: Yeah. But- the the, I mean, the irony of a nazi meeting romans like you know <laughs> like i was like yeah of course like one one cruel empire meeting another one one yeah
0: i just didn't think that there was any chance that she was gonna let him stay there like you know it's it was kind of funny you know, like this He's like trying to go out like in this romanticized version of, you know, archaeologist gets to live out his dreams and see the history. And then all of a sudden she just knocks his ass out like, no, you belong here with us, which I appreciated because we knew Marion was going to show up. You know, to that point, Marion hadn't even been in the movie and they had been name dropping her constantly. So I kind of figured it was going to end with her. So I wasn't surprised to see it end that way. But you know what? This is Harrison Ford going out with a role that he absolutely made iconic. Um, and if any, if nothing else, I think it's a fitting conclusion, and I, I, I think it's an improvement over Kingdom of the Crystal Skull.
1: Yeah, I think it's also interesting to think about, like, because uh, so after I watched that movie, I was like, okay, like that was all right, like it was. I'm not crazy about it, but I think it was fine. I'm glad I saw it, you know. And then I went home and I rewatched both Temple of Doom and Raiders of the Lost Ark that night. I just like did a little mini Indiana Jones marathon. And I was like, man, these movies are just so great. Even I know Temple of Doom gets criticized, but I love it. And uh, I also think like, like, you know, Spielberg is a a once in a lifetime director that we're going to get to see. And I do think that you can just feel like, even just the way he frames shots, the humor, like the light, just everything about the way Spielberg did stuff. You could just feel Spielberg coming through as a director. I didn't feel Spielberg in this movie. Like I thought, it, like, I like this this movie just felt more I don't know, se- like don't, that's not sensible, but just like, okay, yep. Here's a shot of him walking in here. Yep. Here's a shot of them going like climbing up the cave. Yep. Here's
0: it, like. It just felt like okay. He yeah, he even is... mentions drinking the blood of Kali. <laughs> he goes, "If you had to drink the blood of Kali, yeah, if you had like, fourteen hip surgeries, like the, that was
1: the way the way D- Dial of Destiny is shot is not like if you just go back and watch the other movies. Like there's storytelling with every single framing of every single shot of the way no, Spielberg that, did those like, movies. James Mangold made some
0: pretty damn good movies, though. I mean, yeah,
1: you know, but did... I don't know. It just it it doesn't have the same it just doesn't have the same feel to spielberg like yeah,
0: I mean, he did logan he's done you know 310 to yuma walk the line i mean i think he's done some good movies he's a good director but uh yeah. um you know it, i agree i mean you don't have that feel but you do have sort of like the indiana you know the 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 sound effects when he punches people you know john williams score is oh yeah better. yeah you
1: have sound effects when he punches them. that's true they yeah. really they really nailed that
0: I mean, that's, but no, like, the psh, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, the over punch, like, it's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I just think, yeah. like, and is, that, is, Store, is, is, is that the bar? Well, no, but I'm saying Indiana Jones has this very unique style to it where everything is like, like, the punches sound like they're, it's like over the top. Yeah, time. I get, I get
1: what you mean. Um, and, I just, I, I just think that there's, there was something really special about those ones that Spielberg did, and I, don't think this one recaps you're talking about
0: me. you're talking about nostalgia mike which is not going to hit no. the movie that's released in 2023. well
1: so sure but i'm also talking about the way it. it was shot like the like the framing like the like the what See, they I, chose the way they, they did the storytelling I'm, with a, each. I'm
0: disagreeing with that because i think that okay. they, they really tried to vibe with that i think that they did channel that throughout the movie that's why that's why i'm talking about these indiana jones vibes that i was just feeling the whole time in this movie. And I think they channeled those like, was the movie a little bit safe? Yeah. Was it, was it very much the Indiana Jones formula? Yeah. I'm fine with that, man. If that's, if this is how we're sending out Harrison Ford in this iconic character, I just wanted to to see him in the costume again. You know, I just wanted to see him embody the character again. And I wanted a story that was entertaining to watch. And for me, I think a little bit more than you, I was never bored in this movie. I, I found it, super entertaining the whole time you got john williams whenever that score would sort of leak in you get the iconic score like i was getting goosebumps man like maybe i'm just a fanboy when it comes to indiana jones but uh i gave this movie an eight out of ten because if this is the send off for this iconic character uh it was a perfectly entertaining fun time at the movies and i was down with it
1: yeah this is it's sad to think like this is probably the last time we'll ever see harrison ford you know, to Indiana Jones. As far as he said, this is it for him. And uh oh. so yeah. Tip of tip of the hat, sir. Uh Indiana Jones is without doubt uh not only one of my personal favorite, but one of the greatest uh film film heroes of all time. Definitely, I would say probably in the top ten. Like and i put uh, him yeah. in
0: top five, baby. I'm yeah, top, in top
1: five. I think he's <laughs> I think he's top three. I think Maybe it, we
0: should do a countdown of the top uh, top ten film heroes sometime. That could actually be a good show for us. I yeah. would. I would.
1: I think Indiana Jones is probably top three for me. Um, but yeah, Harrison Ford. Thank you. You're an amazing Indiana Jones. And uh, uh yeah,
0: grade? grade,
1: Uh, and your last movie was a B plus. There we go. D- right. Professor Doctor Jones, your final grade. <laughs> Dr. Uh, Jones. Your final movie is a B+, but you as Indiana Jones is A+. Alright,
0: well there you go. That's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Uh, I think I liked it a little bit more than Mike, but you know, I think a worthy send-off to an all-time great movie character and uh, I'm glad that we got it and I'm glad I saw it in theaters. Went in with my dad by the way, which was awesome because he's one. Of, he oh, that's me. special. He sort of introduced me to Indiana Jones, so to go see that movie with him was fun um so i'm glad we got to do that but uh that's gonna do it for today's episode of the second day film podcast Four pretty good pretty big blockbuster films there uh we might have gone a little long here but you know these are these are some movies that we've been waiting for for a long time so i'm i want to give them their uh their just due but uh mike we've got more big ones coming you said you got your barbie ticket uh obviously next pod we'll try and do the whole barbenheimer thing we've got some other stuff hanging out there but uh the movies are coming fast and furious right now oh yeah we never reviewed <laughs> that Fast and Furious movie. My bad. Oh uh,
1: yeah, yeah the uh, the Mission Impossible ones getting a bunch of uh, yeah. people want to go see that one. Um,
0: what There's else? Heimer. Dune Part Two yeah. is coming out later. Uh, we got uh, the Willy Wonka movie with Timothy Chalamet, which a trailer looked kind of weird to me, but. Uh, uh, there, dude. It's crazy. It's crazy the amount of good movies, man. I'm telling you. I just hope that the writers and the actors can figure this out with the studios, because, um, you know, fortunately we've had a hell of a run here, but uh, I think we might have a little bit of a down period if if they if they don't figure this out. So,
1: oh, I definitely think we're gonna have a down period. There's there's no way that they. I don't know. I really, well, I don't think, I think it's gonna get bad. Well, fortunately, we'll for I us, hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong.
0: Fortunately for us, that's irrelevant because we'll just bring back some of our uh, old segments and dive back yeah. into the catalog of infinite movies that are there for all of you guys to yeah. enjoy. We so, can, yeah, we can
1: we can just do a whole podcast just about Indiana Jones. We can do a whole episode about how great Indiana Jones is. I would do it. <laughs> I will say we also do watch a bunch of stuff that we don't review just because if it's a TV show and like we watched like maybe season one or something and we reviewed it then like we don't usually review follow up seasons, but like man like emmy's just recently got announced and like white lotus and succession are just like i think they were the only two in some categories like uh but like yeah we 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 watched latest seasons of that we watched that we haven't we're not going to review that though but uh yeah like i i just watched season two of the bear it was great um you know i'm caught up on righteous gemstones now for
0: now um do you want to spend an hour on the idol (laughs) <laughs> I have not
1: watched a single episode. I have no, no plans. You, we I have no plans to. Do, plans to, or did, do you do really that. want to review it? I have no, no. interest in watching it. Okay. Uh,
0: is it, is really. it bad? Is it bad? I, you know, I couldn't stop watching. I'll say that. <laughs> I couldn't stop watching.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, but Let's that's... leave it
0: at that. We got to get out of here, though. <laughs> we gotta, All right. We'll get on to some other stuff. I mean, there's plenty going on. Hopefully, the, the strike figures itself out. But, Mike, appreciate you uh, being here. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Always a pleasure Always. talking to you. Always a pleasure so, talking uh, to you. And appreciate anyone who's still listening here. An hour and ten minutes in, or wherever we're at, but uh, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Second Day Film Podcast. Uh, we'll look forward to uh, reviewing some more of these blockbusters in the future. Enjoy Barbenheimer, and until next time, for Mike Nichols, I'm Brandon Champion, and we'll see you.